Yeah, once again, welcome back to the Morning Star Show featuring me, Superslide75. I'm your host. Uh, first things first, want to give a shout out to Ra on the boards. Secondly, want to give a shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Cindy. Uh, she was so kind to give me last week off. She said I didn't have to work in the fields. So uh, we want to thank Cindy for giving us the last week off. All right. Also, uh, <laughs> you can visit us on www.onthewakeupradio.com. We are on SoundCloud iTunes, YouTube, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio for the replays. Uh, the call-in number is always at 646-547-1305. You can find me under YouTube at Superslide75. Merchandise is always available at teespring.com forward slash Superslide75. Also, please feel free to donate any amounts, uh, which will go to the website and airtime. It is a labor of love, but we still live in a costly world. If you appreciate the free content, please help us to keep the message uncensored and free. And you can always donate through PayPal at onthewakeupradio at gmail.com. Also, if you would like a, an advertisement slot, please hit us up at onthewakeupradio at gmail.com. Okay, so today is Halloween. Happy Sam Hain Day. Um, if you're a Christian, it sucks to be you because all the ghouls and goblins are out tonight. You know, the old the old story goes that the humans made a deal with all of the uh, underworld beings that for 24 hours they can come out and do whatever they want. And so for the regular people to protect themselves, they uh, decide to dress up as these, these same creatures and to go out amongst them and, you know, have fun. All right. So got a lot of movies to cover. First things first, I'm going to talk about Maleficent real quick. Um, I'm just going off memory for Maleficent. Uh, the third act was trash. It was trash. The imagery, very, very visual. Let me get into it real quick. Uh, Maleficent is the representation of Hathor. Uh, at least I've always thought she was a representation of, of Hathor. Uh, so basically, Queen Ingrith uh, wants to destroy the fairies and the, and the Moors, right? Uh, not the Moors, not the Moors temple-like, but the Moors, right? The the where the, the the fairies live. Okay, so she concocts this plan to blame Maleficent for poisoning her king, the husband, right? When actually she was the one who poisoned the husband with the golden spindle that was used to put the girl to sleep in the first Maleficent. Okay, so then moving forward, uh, she has a pixie. Her pixie scientist is the one that creates the concoction that's able to basically destroy the fairies. What uh, he discovers is the Teutonbloom flower. The Teutonbloom flower, uh, when they bury the dead fairies in the moors, it's, it's, it's their essence. It holds their essence. So the queen had her men scoop up all the all the Teutonbloom flowers. And then the pixie scientist, he takes their essence and then merges it with iron. Now, iron is a very key element to mostly anything spiritual based because iron is what uh, helps to bind spirits. This is why a lot of your prisons and jail cells, the bars are made of iron. That is not by coincidence. OK, that is to confine and, and bind the spirit. OK. So now you know Maleficent has a, has an aversion to iron. So do all the other uh, kind like her. Okay. So then Pixie creates the red dust from the essence of the dead fairies along with iron. So then there's this war. This war. But before that part, there's uh, uh, Maleficent gets injured after the dinner goes left. And she gets shot with an iron pellet. Uh, the one... Uh, Faye, they're called Faye's, Dark Faye's. It was the brother, Tywelto uh, Elijah Four, 
right? Y'all seen him in all the movies, okay? He was in Kiki Boots. He was the inside man. He was Denzel's partner. So he's a fake. He comes down to the sky and goes into the water and saves Maleficent, brings it back up to their world. So she didn't know. So she, she thought she was the last of her kind. There's all types of different phase out there. You got Japanese phase, you got the white phase, you got a black phase, which was the leader of the of the group. His name was Kono, Kunal, right? And he's all about trying to broker a peace between the phase and the humans because he knows that humans, the numbers are too big for them to go to war against. They will lose against the humans because there's too many humans to fight. Okay. The white dude, the white fate, his name is Bora. He's like all about war. He's like, fuck it. We just, we, just, we just go in and whatever happens, happens. All right. So then she learns all the different phase and there's little fae children. There's this whole underground cavern, of this, oh, this whole world of, of fae that exist. Come to find out Maleficent is the last descendant from the Phoenix, the dark Phoenix. Uh, her bloodline that descends directly from the Phoenix. So she's the one that's why she has special powers as opposed to all the other regular phase. Now, all the other regular phase have powers, but she's special because she is a direct descendant to the Phoenix. All right. So moving forward, um, Conal, uh, Conal the, the brother, the, the, the black fade, ends up sacrificing himself to save uh, Maleficent and Bora, right? So he, he ends up dying, right? So Bora assumes leadership. They get ready to go to war. So the, the entire third act is really, really trash. They get to fighting. Then the queen un, un, unleashes the red dust. And when they get hit with the dust, they instantly disintegrate. Or if they're a fairy, they get turned back into their natural state. Okay. So then the one scene, they had the church full of all the uh, fairies. Because the queen's like, yeah, my son's getting married to old girl. So every, I want all the fairies to come in as special guests. So she locks him in the church. The one girl, her henchman, she's such a savage in this movie. She's playing the organ. And every time she hits a certain key, it shoots out the red dust. And you have a, a, a cathedral of, of fairies trapped inside, getting hit with the dust. And they're all getting turned into flowers and trees and shit. All right. The third act was trash. They made peace. They discover Queen Ingrid was behind all this. She gets turned into a goat. And they live happily ever after. Dead ass. Dead ass. So... Oh, but then before that, uh, Maleficent saved her daughter. She got shot in the back with the arrow with the red dust. She disintegrates. The daughter's crying. So her tears hit the ashes. And all of a sudden, Maleficent, uh, uh, she rises from the ashes, right? And she becomes this big ass giant black phoenix, yada, yada, yada. At the end of the day, it's bullshit. The imagery looked good. The, the winged phase coming from the sky, like the fallen... Uh, angels from the Bible. It looked really, really good. Visually looked good. Storytelling, trash. Script, trash. Other than that, <laughs> that's Maleficent. That I, that was pretty much it. Okay, so now, let's get into the real stuff. Uh, so this Halloween special, I decided to go to, to, to watch some, some Halloween-esque movies and, and do some breakdowns that way. So the first thing I, I, I watched, I really didn't care for, but I just want to keep in the spirit of things, was the Creep Show uh, reboot? Creep Show 2019, and if you know, if you haven't heard of it, because it's on Shutter. Shutter is like this horror online streaming service that shows nothing but horror movies. So they did, they redid the Creep Show. Uh, for those that's old enough to remember Creep Show one and two. All right, so then the first episode of Creep Show is called All Hallows Eve, 
And there's these kids named Pete, Bobby, Bradwell, Skeeter, Jill. They belong to the Yellow Dragon Club. And they go out trick-or-treating. So what happens, basically, in a nutshell with this story is these kids are dead. These kids died at the hands of some bullies. They were set on fire. They were locked in a treehouse and set on fire. So every year, their spirits come back trick-or-treating, and they specifically go to the houses of where these children live. The parents know who these kids are. So what they do every year is they snatch up one of their kids as revenge until the last kid that was in that group that killed them uh, is, is taken. And they, they return back into the, they go back to the grave site and, and go, they, they're finally able to rest at peace. All right. That was the first episode. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it really was nothing to watch, but I figured I'd just watch it anyway. Second episode is a little bit deeper. It's called Man in a Suitcase. All right. So this kid, he's on a flight. He gets in. His suitcase is switched out. He didn't know. There's a man in his suitcase. He gets home. There's this Indian man who's all contorted and twisted in his suitcase. Okay. And he's like, oh, my God, what, what are you doing? He's like, oh, you know, I didn't, I, I, you just please help me get out of the suitcase, please. So he tries to help him get out the suitcase. But here's the, the kicker. Every time he goes to help him get out the suitcase, it causes him pain. And when it causes him pain, it causes the man in the suitcase to spit out a gold coin. Okay. So for every time he tries to help this dude, causes him pain, he spits out gold coin. So the, the kid's like, oh, my God, I'm hurting you. And, 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 and the man in the suitcase is like, oh, it's okay. You know, do as you will. You know, it's it's my fault. I, you know, do as you want with me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm at your disposal. So the kid's like, I ain't trying to do that to you. I'm not, you know, he calls his friend over. He's like, yo, I got a, there's a guy in my suitcase. We need to help get him out. So as he's going to bring his friend to show him the guy in the suitcase, his girlfriend already sees it. She's like, oh, my God, there's a dead body in there. What are you doing? And she's like, no, it's not a dead body. It's an actual person I'm trying to help him get out. So all three of them see this dude in the suitcase, all contorted and twisted. All right. So they try to move him. And once again, cause him pain. And he spits out the gold coin. OK, so then the kid has the coin examined. And uh, Big Boy from Outcast is in this particular episode. He plays the uh, the appraiser. So the coin comes from Abdul Amin II. He died at the World War One, along with the Ottoman Empire. And okay, so then his friend has the crazy idea. He says, "Look, we can't we can't let him go." He says, "What do you mean not let him go?" He said, "Look, this guy spits out coins." Yo, we could pay bills and, and do things, whatever. So they make an agreement to keep the guy for 48 hours. After 48 hours, they agree to let him go. So during this 48 hours, let me tell you, they tortured this man <laughs> sun up to sundown, and he's just spitting out coins. <laughs> okay. This is almost like the, 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 the goose that lays the, the golden egg. So they tortured this guy <laughs> incessantly, and he's just spitting out coins. And you see them buying shit <laughs> right the clothes get nicer the stuff in the house gets a little nicer they got money counting machines and shit okay so then after the 48 hours is up the kid's like hey man look it's 48 hours we agreed to let him go his friend's like no we, we can't let him go listen we almost paid off our college loans yo you want to buy a house we're almost there don't you want to buy this car that you're looking at so, of course, their greed, greed, um, and then also the kid didn't know that 
his friend and his ex-girlfriend were sleeping together. He didn't know that, okay? So, of course, the ex-girlfriend and his friend want to keep the, the, the gravy train rolling. So the kid's like, no, we got to stop. So he's about to try and help the guy get out. The girlfriend hits him in the head with a hammer. He falls out. You think he's dead. He's not dead. Okay. But you don't know about that until later on. So then the girl, the ex-girl and his friend uh, go to torture him some more. And all of a sudden, the man in the suitcase, he comes out. He transforms into this huge gin. Right? He's a gin. The whole time he was a gin testing uh, their morality and, and integrity. Okay? So he turns to this gin. He's laughing at them. And they're all freaked out. So he snaps his fingers and he puts them in a suitcase. So now they're both twisted and contorted in suitcases. Okay. The next scene, the kid that got hit in the head with the hammer wakes up in the hospital room. He sees a bouquet of flowers from the gin. And it says, if you need any help, think, just think, just think of me in the future and I'll, I'll, I'll be there for you. Okay. So he passed the test to a certain extent. The girlfriend, the ex-girlfriend and his buddy, so the, the gin back in his human form is walking to the uh, airport terminal. And the late the student is like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, Mr. So and such, because he's a frequent flyer. And he has a row of suitcases. And he says, are you guys sure you'll be able to accommodate my, my, my luggage? Oh, yes, yeah, sir. That won't be a problem. You're such a valued customer. Literally has to roll of suitcases with bodies in them. And then as they load the suitcase onto the uh, conveyor, you can hit it too. And the suitcase is screaming and yelling. Okay. That was that story. That was kind of good. That was kind of good. All right. Episode number three is called bad wolf down. I'm going to skim through this one. Cause this really kind of put me to sleep almost. Um, it's a world war one scenario. Uh, us GI Joe's are fighting Germans. Uh, they beat, they, they killed a bunch of Germans. And they get outnumbered because the re reinforcements come. They run to this house. This, uh, I'm sorry, not a house, but an abandoned police station. An abandoned police station. And then there's a poster of a wolf man on the tree that nobody sees. Okay. So then uh, the GIs are in the, in the abandoned police station. Like, what's our next move? You know, they're going to, we're outnumbered. They find a map to the rally point. So their point is, the, the, the plan is to get to the rally point. One of the soldiers named Quint, Quint starts to kind of hallucinate and kind of lose his his grip on things. Right. So he starts to kind of break away from the camp or the, the, the regiment for a certain extent. OK, so then there's one lady in the jail cell that no one saw. So she reached out to grab one of the soldiers. The soldier flips out, turns around, and shoots the lady in the stomach. OK, they're like, what the hell is she in the jail cell? What, what's what's going on? They go in there to help her. She's bleeding from the stomach. So then Quint's like, we, we, we got to kill her because she's a witness. The sergeant's like, no, we're not going to kill her. We're going to we're gonna try and save her. So Quint, being an asshole that he is, he locks them in the cell with this woman that's bleeding from the stomach. He runs off to the rally point, leaves them behind. So then they're, the rest of the soldiers uh, are trying to figure out how to save this woman. Then they look at her stomach. And they say, and her stomach heals from the from the gunshot wound. They're like, what what kind of shit is this? What what are you? And she's speaking in German. She's like, you know, um, the pain. I don't want to do this anymore. Please kill me. I, I turn into something at night. I kill children at night. 
So then the, one of the uh, soldiers has a silver cross. And he gives her the silver cross. She swallows the silver cross. Meanwhile, the, the German SS heard the gunshot. So they're on the way to the police station. Okay. So then one of the GIs asked the lady, he said, look, before you die, we need you to do one, one favor for us. And, and so she bites all of them. Okay. She bites all the GI soldiers in the jail cell with her. She dies off. The Germans show up. And then all of a sudden, the GIs turn into werewolves. <laughs> they turn into werewolves. <laughs> they kill the Germans. <laughs> right? Okay. Then they get down. Then they, they make their way to the rally point. And then the sergeant catches up to Quint, the, 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 guy, the, uh, the guy that left him in a jail cell. Quint uh, stepped on a landmine. And his legs and arms are blown off. And he's still alive. He's like, oh, my gosh, Sarge, I didn't mean to leave you like that. You know, you know, don't leave me like this. He said, where's the rest of the, where's the, rest of the, uh, the guys? And he says, oh, they're, ha- they're out having a bite to eat. So then the Sarge t- t- transforms into a werewolf and finishes off Quint. Okay. See, it, it was, I'm t- listen, this reboot is terrible. But I had to watch it just for to get into the spirit of the Halloween thing, okay? The next episode is The Finger. This is psychological. The Finger, DJ Qualls. If y'all remember DJ Qualls, this goofy white kid that was in um, Hustle and Flow, he was the producer. Okay, so he finds a finger. Okay, he finds a finger. Now his wife has left him. He, the wife and kids have left him. It was a stepkids. They left him. He's he works a shitty job. Bill collectors are calling him all the time. He's just he's just a fucking slob at this point. He finds this finger. Uh, he takes the finger home one day he's looking for the finger can't find it finds the finger in the freezer in the deep freezer so then the next day there's two fingers attached to it he's like oh what is this then the next day and it's an arm it grew into an arm okay and then the next day it grows into half of a body so he puts the whole thing in a the, in the deep freezer the next time he opens the deep freezer it's a full-grown like little like an almost like an alien like like an alien, like a miniature alien, right? Except it doesn't have the big head. Okay, so then he's sleeping one night, and then the creature breaks out. Okay, breaks out one day and brings him back a heart, a human heart. So come to find out, whoever this guy does not like, because he's on the phone always yelling at somebody. So the first person he yelled at uh, was was a it wasn't a it wasn't a bill collector. But the first victim, I figured who the first victim was, he brought back the person's heart as a gift, as an offering to him. So then as he gets to know the creature, the creature likes to watch uh, soap operas. It eats popcorn. The creature can understand him. Okay, so basically this creature is an emotional extension of of the guy, of of DJ. All right. The next person on the the hit list, uh, his ex-wife. And the creature can hear him on the phone. So next thing you know, he breaks out. And he and he brings back. <laughs> wait, 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 he brings back. Was it her head? It wasn't her head. No, he breaks out. So then later, two detectives showed up and said, "Hey, um, you know, do you know your ex-wife? She, you know, she she she's dead." He's like, "Oh my god, I no, I didn't know she's dead. What happened?" Yada yada yada. So the creature end up bringing back kills the, the he, he kills his ex-wife. And the two stepkids, 
All right. He brings back their heads. And then uh, over the course of time, he brings back body parts and he puts it all in the, uh, the garbage compactor. Right. OK. The garbage disposal. So then what ends up happening is the cops show up. OK. As he's about to crush these heads and hide the evidence. Come to find out he goes to trial. He's in a psych ward and he's narrating his own story. I come to find out uh, the creature never existed. It was all a figment of his imagination. Well, they believe he did it himself, and they believe he used the creature as as a as as an escape uh, escapism for his his mental issues. So everybody he had an issue with, he went out and killed them, according to the cops. So he's in a he's in a padded room, and then all of a sudden you can hear the creature click click and click, right? Like he's a, like he's really there with him. That's how that story ends. Eh, 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 eh. I promise you, it, it gets better. Okay. The next episode is called Gray Matter. Gray Matter. This one is almost like a reboot of the first creep show when Stephen King touched the meteorite and he all turned green inside of his house and he turned to like a green fern. Yeah. You know what? We're going to change it up. We're going to skip this one because this one's whack. Okay. I'm not going to bore you to death with that one. This one here. I like this one. The House of the Head. The house of the head. So now there's a little girl named Evie. Evie has a dollhouse. And she puts her dolls in different positions, right? So then one day, this little zombie head shows up in her dollhouse. And she's like, hey, what are you doing there? You don't belong there. And then it's funny because all the, the, the dolls, they're in like reactive poses. Like they're really scared of this of the zombie head. Yada, yada, yada. So every day, the zombie has in different uh, rooms of the dollhouse. And the family members are in different poses of, of being scared and frightened. So then it gets so bad, she brings home a little cop doll, right? A police officer doll. And she's like, okay, I'm bringing him in. He'll protect you. Okay? So then the next day, you see the cop doll on his way up the stairs to go look for the head. And then she looks in the other room and sees the head on the bed, and then she looks again in the head somewhere somewhere else. So then the next time she looks, she sees that the cop, his head has been taken off. He's headless, right? And the family's like in a pose like, oh, they're scared, right? And she's like, oh, my God, where's the zombie? Where is he? Where is he? Of course, the zombie head's hiding out, chilling, okay? So then she goes to the toy maker. She says, hey, do you have any Native American or spiritual toys? He's like, well, you know, I got some. I said, the most powerful ones I got are Native Americans. She's like, okay, great. So she picks out a Native American, like a shaman toy, right? She brings the shaman home, puts it in a dollhouse. She says, okay, guys, you know, he's here to protect you. He's going to help get rid of the zombie head, right? So the the uh, the shaman has his 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 axe, and he's like in different poses, look, look he's like he's looking for the head. So then <laughs> the next time she looks... <laughs> His head is cut off. His head is cut off and his arm is cut off. Right? So then she gets so upset. The next time she looks, she's looking for the little baby doll. His name is Evan, the little the little toy, the little son. She's like, oh, my God, what would you do with Evan? So she looks in another window. The zombie head is on top of Evan's body. So the, Evie gets so upset, she takes the, the, the doll, right? And throws it across the room. It's like, you're not real. Get out of my house. Get out of my house. Get out of my house. Okay. 
So then she's like, no, that's not right. I got to get rid of it. So she's looking for where she threw the doll, the little, the little toy doll head. So she looks under her bed. And when she looks under her bed, there's a life-size zombie head looking at her. And she screams and flips out. So then, <laughs> so then she puts the head, she opens the dollhouse because, I mean, it opens, it folds out, opens, right? And then she puts the zombie head in it. She has her parents get rid of it the next day. So this black lady comes to get the house. She's like, oh, my God, this is a beautiful dollhouse. This is like one of a kind. I don't know why she's getting, she's getting rid of it. So the, the old woman, she's looking at, at the dollhouse. She opens the dollhouse. Of course, the zombie head's not in there. All right. So as Evie and her parents drive off, you look back again at the scene. You see the same little zombie head doll with Evan's body on it. And then the head spins around. <laughs> Listen, I promise y'all the next two reviews, movie reviews I break down is going to be so much better. I just, just bear with me. I'm trying to get into the season of all this shit, okay? All right, all right, all right. The last, when was that the last episode of the Creep Show? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Now, before I get into my, the movie that I really want to get into, I'm going to say that for the end. This goddamn Watchmen shit. That y'all been harassing me about. I had no intentions on watching the Watchmen. I've already seen the co- I've read I read the comics as a kid. I, I I liked what Zack Snyder did with his movie, right? I had no intentions of watching this goddamn Watchmen shit. But y'all was in my ass about this shit. I've never heard so many black people, men and women, so upset about this goddamn series. And what have I told y'all about letting these people control your emotions? Don't. Let them control your emotions. And from the first two minutes of this goddamn series, niggas is up. Oh, my God, the Tulsa, the Tulsa, 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 Tulsa. Goddamn Tulsa. Okay, so let's get into it. The first episode, it opens up with an old silent film. There's the bad guy. Uh, you, what you, thought, you thought the brother was the bad guy. Come to find out, it's Bass Reeves. Bass Reeves is the, the first black deputy sheriff out of fucking, where the, where the fuck? He was the first black deputy U.S. marshal. Arrested over 3,000 felons. He lived in several different Indian uh, uh, territories. He died of nephritis called Bright's disease. It was a kid, kidney ailment. So this little black boy is watching this silent film of, of Bass Reeves. He, he apprehends the evil, the bad white man. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So now the mother is playing the piano while he's watching the silent film. All of a sudden you hear bombs and, sh- and gunshots and people screaming. So this shit just literally, as this is, is going on, the Tulsa massacre, because you can't call it a riot, because a riot means two forces going at it, you know what I'm saying? This was a massacre. So um, the mother grabs the boy. The daddy is a GI. He grabs the boy. He gives her the shotgun. And they make and run out the they run out the theater. So all while they run out the theater, you see the images. You see people, black people, getting dragged and shot and set on fire. And Kate clan members. Okay, yeah, it's a very surreal, uh, very raw, visceral image. Yes, um, I could understand why the average black person would get upset by watching this shit. I'm more upset that black people are upset because white people didn't think this really happened. So now that white people know this happened, what happens next? Are they going to be like, well, 
our bad. Here's some money. Because that's not what's going to happen at the end of the day. All right. Anywho. So there's a, a secret caravan. They meet up where other black families are sending their children to go off into hiding. They send, they write the, the note, says, watch over this, watch over this boy. Put the note with the boy that daddy says, you know, I'm going to see you soon, whatever the case. And put him in a box and the, the, the people take off with him. And as he is leaving the scene, he can see the imagery, see the plane dropping bombs and shit and fires. And just, it's just, this is carnage. I get it. I get it. Okay. So then um, <laughs> we cut to present time. A white guy is being pulled over by a cop. Now, this is an alternate timeline because it tells you it's an alternate timeline in Tulsa, Oklahoma, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the cop walks up, says, uh, this, this interview is being recorded. Do you consent? The civilian says, uh, sure. The cop asks, what, what are you holding lettuce? And the cop says, can I take a look? The civilian says, can I take a look at your face? Because in this version of the, of the timeline, cops are... Uh, they wear masks so they cannot so they cannot be identified because there's a situation called the white night where over 40 cops were basically killed off in one night uh you know i'll get to that later okay so then um the cop becomes irritated he returns back to his car civilian refused to search uh, the cop asks dispatch for uh weapons off right he's he, so in this timeline the, the cops have to ask permission to 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 uh, to, un, to to release their weapons, right? Because it's locked in the under the dashboard. So the guy named Panda. Panda is this guy that wears a panda head. Panda is like the uh, the legal jurisprudence for the cops. Like he is the bookworm. He's like the protocol guy. Okay, if it doesn't match protocol, then Panda ain't gonna rock with it. Okay, so he has to ask Panda. Uh, uh, he tells Panda the situation. He, because when he first called in the dispatch, he said, "Hey, I need I need a weapons unlock. Uh, anybody but Panda." Panda's like, "No, I'm here. I'll take the call. What you need?" He's like, "Fuck, it's Panda." So he don't want to talk to Panda. So the cop tells Panda, "Civilian refused search and noticed cavalry contraband and asked for weapons unlock." Panda asks, "What kind of contraband?" The cop says, "It was a Rorschach mask." Panda asks, "Are you sure?" The cop says, "Yes." Panda asks for probability of drugs or alcohol. The cop says hi. Panda asks for probability of firearms or explosives in the vehicle. Cop says hi. Uh, Panda, what's your overall perceived threat level? Cop says hi. Hi mean as a high threat, high probability. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Then they release the cop's gun. Doesn't work the first two times. It worked on the third time. So when the, the, the weapon is finally released, <laughs> The cop is, is hit with a bunch of bullets through the windshield. He's shot to shit. Shot to shit, okay? <laughs> He's gravely wounded. The perpetrator throws a head of lettuce into the uh, into the uh, cop's front seat uh, while wearing a Rorschach mask, okay? Now, there's a play for Oklahoma. It's called Black Oklahoma, right? Chief Judd is alerted to what happened to the officer. He was barely alive in ICU. Judd goes to Sutton's wife. The cop's name is Sutton. Goes to his wife to let her know her husband's her husband been shot. So then Judd asks the, hu uh, the the wife, her name is Roberta. He says, what kind of cover story did you have for him? Because in this timeline, you cannot let anybody know that you're a cop. 
It's against the law. I mean, it's it's it's, it's forbidden. It's for your safety. So nobody knows must know. No one can know that you're a cop. Okay. So they come up with cover stories. His cover story was that he's a night student. Okay. So then judge says they'll use a carjacking cover. They'll say he was carjacked at school as a cover story. Okay. It's protocol. It's protocol to not review uh, who's a cop. Okay. So then Miss Ava, this is Regina King. Now, this is another part where it gets everybody upset. So now you got white people mad because Regina King, this black woman beats up white dudes. And then you got black dudes mad because the black woman is strong and beating up dudes and her husband is a punk. That's right. You heard what I just said. People are mad because the white woman beats up. I mean, the black woman beats up white men. Okay. And then this black woman, the husband is a punk. Okay. Now let's, now that you got the backstory, let's, let's go, let's go on this one. Okay. So then Miss Ava, uh, she's at a school, uh, show and tell. She gives a demonstration of separating egg whites and protein structure. Okay. And a lesson in, um, Bombia. She was born in Vietnam and before it became a state, she was a cop in Vietnam until she moved to Tulsa. Okay. She was a cop before the white night incident. So it will flash, it will flash back in, ep in episode two. It flashes back to the white night episode. Okay. Uh, before they were allowed to, to wear masks. So she had quit the force. Okay. Um, she opened a bakery. So then a little white boy asks, well, did you, did, did, did red Rations pay for it? And she says, excuse me. So now in this timeline, Redford, Redforations are like reparations. Robert Redford was the president that authorized reparations for any descendant of the Tulsa massacre in 1921. Okay. So in this timeline, black people get reparations, but they're called Redforations. <laughs> and white people are upset. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So then when the little boy asks again, this little other little white boy jumps him, jumps a little fat kid that asks the question. It beats him up, gets into a fight. So then on the way home, Miss uh, Miss uh, Miss Anna, we call her Miss Anna, uh, and, and the little boy's in the front seat. So you're like, oh, that's that's her son. But it's not her son. And I'll explain to you why in episode two. OK, the white boy asking in the reparation back in the attack, student attack. OK, so on the ride home. The alarm is sounded because baby squid fall from the sky. Okay. If you, if you, if you are a Watchmen comic, you understand what I'm talking about. So there's a, there's an alarm and it's a, it's a worldwide phenomenon where baby squid fall from the sky. Okay. All right. Moving forward. Uh, Miss Ava receives a text saying little bighorn and that she has to go to the bakery. The bakery is not a real bakery. It's like her, like like her uh, what's Batman's uh, the, the Batcave. OK, it's like her Batcave. So then on her way to the bakery, she sees the old man, Louis Gossett Jr. You know, Louis Gossett Jr. from uh, the goddamn the, 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 the fucking soldier story shit with the white boy, Richard Gere. I forget, I forget the name of that movie, but he played the, the staff sergeant, whatever. Louis Gossett Jr. Come on, old, old head. OK, so he. uh He's reading a paper and it says that uh, Veet officially declared dead. If you know who Adrian Veet is, that is Ozymandias. 
Okay. Once again, it would help that you, if you know who the fuck these people are, if you ever watch the Watchmen. Okay. So then uh, Ava or Anna changes into her costume. She drives a Buick Grand National. Uh, Also, all of the cars in this, in this timeline are electric. Go figure. Uh, She heads into some, she kicks in somebody's door. She punches the white dude out. She kicks in the white dude's door, punches him out, throws him in the trunk of her car. Heads to the police station. Okay. With the guy in the trunk. So there's a tape of Rorschach playing and there's an overturn about uh, liberal ideas, um, praising the seventh cavalry. So basically you have the cops versus the seventh cavalry. Okay. They're like the militia. Okay. And so then chief judge played by uh, Don Johnson, uh, he addresses the cops and tells them to go to Nixonville. This is where all the, the rednecks, basically all the white rednecks live in Nixonville. Okay. To round up suspects under article four. Article four is a 24 hour release of weapons. Only if the majority of cops feel their lives are in direct or immediate threat. Panda. Panda said, tells the chief, Hey, you're making a mistake. You can't do this. He, and chief is like, Oh yeah. Okay. So the chief does this. He asks different cops. Hey, do you feel your life is in a, a direct immediate danger? They're like, yes. So he gets the majority vote to release the weapons for 24 hours. Okay. Anna questions. The, why didn't the chief call her? And then they reminisce about Black Oklahoma. Okay, so the chief and, and Anna are like this. It's a weird thing. It's weird. And, and, and like I said, episode two, we'll, 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 die, we'll, we'll, we'll divest into that. Okay, so then um, Anna tells the chief she has a suspect and to put him in a pod. So the suspect asks for a lawyer. Glass tells him uh, terrorists aren't allowed to have lawyers because he's deemed a terrorist. Okay, which is this is true. All right. Uh, while uh, so during during the interrogation, right, glasses in front of him, behind him is a screen, and the white and the the the, the white supremacist is looking at different all these type of like white supremacist images flashing before him while he's being asked questions over and over and over again. So what Glass is looking for is a certain reaction to certain images based off the questions being asked to him, and that will determine if he's lying or not. Okay. So then, um, <laughs> so after the, after the interrogation, Glass says the suspect fails to pod pupils dilated during the Rorschach images, right? So then Anna walks him out, says, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I apologize. I thought you were somebody else. So then she throws him into a room and she tortures the guy. She beats the guy up. She tortures him, gets a confession out of him, okay? Uh, the cattle ranch. He tells her to go to the cattle ranch. So the cops mount up. They go into the cattle ranch, right? As they're on the property, they set off silent alarms. So then the, the seven cavalry mount up a 50 cal and they get to shoot at the cops. Okay. <laughs> shoot up a bunch of cattle, shoot up a bunch of cops. All right. So <laughs> while the, the, the seven cavalry, while they're holding up the cops off with the 50 cal, there's two other seven cavalry members that are trying to get off in the plane, trying to skip in the plane. All right. Anna makes a move during a reload. Now, listen, I get it. It's a TV show. Okay. Once again, somehow, some, somehow people are upset because this 50 year old woman, because let's, let's, let's be honest, Regina King's in her late, late forties, early fifties, right? She's running around here doing acrobatic shit, whooping ass, beating up big, big white men. This is what a lot of people are mad because, this little white woman 
is beating up big white men. Okay, fine. So then <laughs> she takes down the members one by one. The one suspect she had in the custody, he takes a cyanide tablet. Okay, swallows a cyanide pill so he can't be taken in and in, in, uh, taken alive, right? And then the other two get off in the plane. Uh, Chief Judd and another cop are in like the Night Owl's uh, ship. If you watch the first Nightman, uh, the first Watchman, the Night Owl had a ship, like a, a giant owl eye ship. See what I'm saying? If you don't know what I'm saying, you need to go watch this shit. All right, so they shoot the plane down, the flamethrower, right? They uh, they recover some items from the plane. Chief Judd and another cop crashed in the Night Owl ship. All right. So then we cut to Ozymandias in his uh, castle somewhere overseas. He's celebrating his anniversary and his servant restores one of his old watches. OK, cut back scene again. Anna and Judd discuss the synthetic lithium they found on the plane. Judd suspects a cancer bomb. Judd gets an alert that Sutton wakes up from his coma. Okay. So then uh, on his way to the hospital to go see Sutton, you hear on the radio, it says there's a six month wait to purchase guns. And all of a sudden his tires blow out. He runs over a, a spike strip. He gets out. He sees a spike strip uh, flashing lights in front of him. Cut scene. Okay. They grab him up. Okay. So then Aunt Anna gets a call at home from a cavalry member. He says, look, come meet us at the big tree. Don't wear your mask. We know who you are. Come by yourself. Now, here's where I, I, where I understand everybody's frustration with the husband wife dynamic because the husband we don't know what he does for a living i didn't catch it okay all i know is yes this woman is a cop she's super badass the roles have been reversed she's a she's a protector provider he is the receiver right so then when she's getting ready to leave she gives him instructions. Say, hey, if anybody walks up, uh, shows up, pulls up, you, uh, is past a certain feet towards this house, you get the bussing. Okay, you know, and it was it's very very, uh, it's plain as day that the roles have been reversed in in, in their dynamic. I I get it. I don't like it, but guess what? I keep my feelings in check. Okay, because it's a goddamn TV series show. Okay, but anywho. So then um, Anna goes to the big tree and the same old black man, Louis Gossett Jr. is sitting in a wheelchair at the big tree and there's a body hanging from it and it's Chief Judd's body. Louis Gossett Jr. is the little boy from the very first part of the episode. He was a little boy in Tulsa. That is him. All grown up. 105 years old. That's him. Okay. So then. Let's go to episode two. Bear with me, y'all. Bear with me. Bear with me. It's a lot of notes. A lot of notes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. Here we go. 
All right, all right, all right. So now episode two. It starts with uh once again, we're back in a war. Fraulein Mueller is summoned to type a letter from the commandant in English. This is a letter to the black GIs questioning their purpose for their involvement in World War I, asking them to join the German side. Deep shit, man. It's deep. So then cut scene. We'll go back to scene. Anna sees Chief Judge hanging body. Anna takes the old man in for interrogation. She takes him back to the bakery. Okay. She's like, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And who who did this? Who did this? And he's like, I did it. I did it. We're playing this cat and mouse game, whatever the fucking case may be. And then he says, what is, what is this? What's going on here? And he says, there's a vast conspiracy brewing in Tulsa. He says, his name is Will. Said the chief had skeletons in his closet. I said again, the chief has skeletons in his closet. Okay. Anna gets a call and takes Will's uh, cup that he was drinking for, for uh, in for evidence. Chief's body has been turned into a crime scene. Glass and Knight discuss Chief's final hours and conclude it wasn't the cavalry. Knight says, uh, he asked, he asked, uh, no, Glass asked Knight, what was it? What, what, you were the last one with him. What would happen? She says, well, he may have done a line or two. She lied because at the party at her, at her house, they both were doing coke. Okay. This is why I say the relationship between Chief and Anna, or a.k.a. Miss Knight, is weird. And we're going to get into this. Okay. So then Knight says, uh, she says she gets offended. She's like, man, my, my kids were there. Glass says, your kids? Knight gets offended. See, now, this is why Knight gets offended. Because the two little white kids that she's raising are not hers. They're not, they don't belong to her and her husband. They are from her former dead partner that got killed during the white night uh massacre okay so she's raising two little white kids <laughs> from her dead partner okay all right this also was another reason for everyone being upset because she was raising white kids okay listen i'm telling you if you're a black person you're a white person for the most part you're upset watching this series you're gonna find something wrong with it you're gonna be. Uh, you're gonna find a reason to hate this fucking series. I, I, what, what, what? What are you gonna? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Okay. Okay. So let's move, let's move forward. Okay. So then. Okay. So then, the cavalry. Now we now we get to the white knight uh, part. We get to the white knight. This is the, the actual incident. This is Christmas Eve. Her and her husband dancing in front of the Christmas tree. The cavalry. Breaks into her house, uh, take a couple shots, they miss, she grabs a knife, she stabs one, then she gets shot in the process. Then she wakes up in the hospital bed, and Chief Judd is right there next to her. Okay? So then he breaks down what happened. He said 40 cops, all simultaneously, were all attacked at the same time. All at once. It was a, co it was a coordinated hit. They knew everybody's... Phones, addresses, families, uh, times when they left and came home. There was, was one one single shot, 40 cops gone. Those that survived, they quit the force. Okay? All right. So now, now, we, now we know what the white knight incident is all about. Okay. 
So then present time, the cops go to Nixonville looking for suspects. And then they tear down the Richard Nixon uh, statue. Okay. And then they storm the trailer park. Knight beats up a white guy. And once again, she beat up a, a big ass white dude. <laughs> beat him up pretty bad. All right. So then she goes to take Willis's cup to get tested at the cultural center. This is where you get to go test to see if you are a descendant of any of the, anybody from Tulsa from 1921. She gets the cup tested. Guess who the avatar is of all people? Henry Skip Gates. You remember Skip Gates? The, the nigga that got arrested outside of his house? Because a cop thought he was breaking in? The Obama shit, the first term? Skip Gates. The, the, the nigga that had a beer with Obama and the cop? Skip Gates. Because <laughs> Skip Gates, his, his claim to fame is the whole genetic, um, uh, you know, the whole genetic shit, like where you come from, you know, I'm, genetics, yo, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I, I'm losing my mind. But Skip Gates is the avatar for this uh, genetic lineage uh, program in, in this alternate reality. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So the cup is tested. Um, to apply for reparations, and then she goes home. She finds a white man on her porch. She gives him a check, and he says, "Oh, reparations must be nice." I I still don't know who the white man was at on her porch. All right, so so getting on, getting on, getting on, getting on. The white kid, oh, and then explain the white kids are her former partners' kids that were killed during the white night incident. Okay, so then. Public service announcement. It says the LGBTQA plus. Pay attention. There was a PSA for the LGBTQA plus. What the fuck is the A plus, y'all? Okay. So then it cuts to um, Rorschach's body. Because see, in this timeline, Rorschach is the one that kicked this whole shit off. Okay, Rorschach created the Seventh Calvary. Now, people are upset. White people are upset because in in the Watchmen movie, Rorschach's a good guy, but in the comics, he's an asshole. He's a racist. He's a he's a misogynist. He's a piece of shit in the comics. See, those that watch the movie never read the comics. Okay, so anywho, in this timeline, they they think Rorschach is dead. Rorschach faked his murder. Okay. So what they the body they found was a body double. Cut we'll get to that later. Now Anna goes to judge repass. Anna fakes like she fainted. Okay. So then Judge Wife puts her in the bed up, upstairs, right in the bedroom. Anna wakes up like she woke, you know what I'm saying? She puts on her 3D glasses and starts looking around the room, looking for clues, looking for the skeletons in his closet. She literally looks in his closet. And she finds a Ku Klux Klan robe outfit in Chief Judd's closet. Cut scene. We go to Ozymandias. And Ozymandias is having his staff recreate the creation of Dr. Manhattan for his amusement. Okay. Cut back again. Anna returns to find Will had left and came back to the bakery. 
and gives him Jed's KKK costume. <laughs> he said, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I didn't say go into his closet. She's like, I really, I literally, literally went into his closet. Right. He knew he had dirt on him, but she didn't, he didn't know it was like that type of type. He knew he was dirty, but not that type of dirty, whatever the case may be. Okay. So then Anna gets a phone call confirming Will's status. He's eligible for red for rations and that he has two living descendants. They ask her, do you know the name of one of these descendants? She says, Angela Abar. Angela Abar is a living descendant of Will. Will is her grandfather. Then places him under arrest as she takes him to the car to put him in, into, the, into the van. There's a giant magnet drops on top of the vehicle and lifts Will into the sky. And then Angela finds the note that Will had carried as a child. Watch over this boy. On the opposite page, uh, on the opposite side of the watch over this boy was the actual part of the typing of, the, of that letter from the commandant to the black GIs that old girl Fraulein had typed up years, years prior. This shit is fucking crazy. <laughs> Listen, I guess I will have to keep watching this shit and we'll have to keep going over this together because I really I still don't give a fuck about this show. But I, I see so many people up so upset about this show. I would be remiss to not talk about it and break that shit down. So hopefully you guys are all caught up on the first two episodes of The Watchmen. Now, first hour into it. Uh, let's see. What, what do I want to talk about? I'm, I'm saving my big movie for the end. I'm saving my big movie for the end. Uh, okay, yes. Here we go. Let's talk about Dolomite is my name. Dolomite is my name. Listen, once again, Eddie Murphy, greatest comedian of all time. This man's acting range is so uh, underrated. You remember he was up for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his role as Jimmy in Dreamgirls. But because Hollywood didn't want to see that happen, they released the, 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 uh, the Norbit movie too early. And it killed his chances of winning that, that, that Academy Award way back when. Now, uh, <laughs> Dolomite is my name, directed by Craig Brewer, uh, from hot, the black dude from Hot Tub Time Machine. He's a, he's a pretty good musician as well. I need, we need to talk about this just because it's, you know, it's about perse perseverance and, and, and never giving up. And plus it's fucking Eddie Murphy and um, it's fucking Eddie Murphy. All right. So um, one thing I think a lot of people missed during uh, the, 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 the back and forth between uh, Mike Epps' character and, 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 and Dolomite or Rudy, Rudy uh, Ray Moore, he says, you know, he broke down Red Fox's comedic style. He said, well, you know, Red Fox is able to get away with this because he uses double entendres in his skits. It will come back later on as to why that works. Because see, back then, censorship, um, you couldn't play uh, certain records over the air. But it, it, certain ways you could say it, but not say it certain different ways. Okay, so then basically Rudy comes up with a way to turn uh, dirty slave jokes. They were called slave jokes into his act, right? 
And so he goes looking for Rico the bum because Rico would come into the record store and tell all these crazy jokes and Rudy would give him money to, to leave. Right. But he was funny. He was, just, he was a bum. All right. So then he gives them money and alcohol and gets all the bums together and listen and records them. Listen to, to their dirty jokes. OK, so he's going to fashion their jokes into for his new act because he's like an opening act at a nightclub. OK, he's like a warm up. He's the, like the warm up the MC. All right. Uh, got a caller? Well, what's happening? What's up, Flash? Oh, man, how you feeling? I'm good. What's, what's, how you? How you? How you? I'm good. I was just calling to uh, point out one thing you missed with the watch. What what I miss? Okay. The little boy, you talk, it, it, well, first of all, that's a trend. The little one that was building the, the, uh, the structure after he found out that the dude, that Don Johnson had died. Oh, yeah, huh? Yeah, that's it. Because that, remember, it was like, I want to say it was like, they go by a toaster now. So, yeah, and I think, and if I had a guess, I think that little boy is like Dr. Manhattan people somehow. Like, that little boy is going to be connected to Dr. Manhattan with the little kinetic powers and stuff like that. Okay. Okay. I'll be looking for that. That's what's up. What else is on your mind? That was this. Oh, no, no, like I said, I, uh, I, I know you got that picture I sent you. From the big, from the big Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna go over that. But we'll, 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 me and you, we'll, we'll talk about that for sure, definitely. Okay, cool, cool. Just let me know when you're ready. But I just wanted to call, call back and point that out because, like I said, that kind of struck me. Uh, and I was like, damn. But then too, it's like you know, it's they're coming up on the hundred year anniversary of the whole thing with Tulsa. That's so right. It's just like, you know, they, they definitely kind of fanning it and propagating. You know yeah, and 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 as usual, we falling for the shit. So you know, what's new at this point? My man, that's what's up. Okay, bro. Peace. All right, it's my man Art. My man Art. Okay. So then they're recording the jokes uh, of the of the bums. They're called the uh, what are they called? They were called something. The, the the liquor store wise men that they were called the liquor store wise men. All right. So then Rudy uh, goes home, perfects his look, the pimp look with the, with the curly wig. Um, he debuts the, the infamous signified monkey joke. Uh, he gets a rousing ovation. Even the owner was like, well, what the hell? Okay. So then Rudy asks his auntie to loan him money to make a comedy album. Uh, Rudy records the album in his house, invites an audience in. He's wearing a turban and a daishiki. Okay. An exec from Laugh Records uh, breaks down the semantics because he's like, we can't use this. And he, and he tells him why. This is, the perfect, this is how Red Fox was able to get away with it. He says, you can call a man a cocksucker, but you can't say a man sucks cock. That's simple. It's, it's semantics. That's it. That's the difference. Okay. So then Rudy decides to go indie, sells his comedy album out of the trunk of his car. He becomes a hit at all the, at the, at the California club. He sells merchandise. So he's in the merch. So this man was way ahead of his time. Um, Rudy's album ends up at Kent records. Okay. I'm not sure if they were Armenian or Arab or something, something, but they weren't Jews. Okay. So then Rudy gives the execs his idea for his uh, iconic album cover. Okay. The woman's name is Crystal. 
Crystal is bad. Crystal is bad. Okay. Like she's bad. Uh, I want to thank uh, Faces by Pureness for the uh, donation. Thank you. God bless you, sister. Um, Crystal is fucking bad. So that picture, the iconic album cover for his, that, that's how that took place. Once again, Crystal is bad. All right, all right, all right. All right, moving forward, moving forward. Yeah, so then Rudy pays back his auntie. Rudy hits a chitlin circuit. And then there's a performance of an old school uh, icon musician. I totally forgot his name. Rudy sees a domestic violence situation take place in the audience, right? The woman caught a man cheating. <laughs> she punches him out. <laughs> she the, Her man leaves with the girlfriend and she's at the, she stays by herself at the, at the, at the, at the show. So after the show, um, he sees the lady. He's like, Oh, you know, you, you know, a woman like that can give a punch, whatever, whatever. And her name is lady Reed, She's a former backup singer. She's a single mom now. Okay. Rudy admits it's all an act and he makes queen B, uh, that's her alter ego queen B, uh, his warm-up act, his, his beginning, you know, opening act. Rudy gets a call from Kent executives that his album has hit Billboard and goes back to L.A. to record more albums and becomes an even bigger hit. Okay, so then this is what everybody missed. Everybody missed this. They're at the diner. They're at the restaurant eating. Mike Epps, the character Mike Epps. He's wearing a hamster chain. Mike Epps is wearing a hamster chain necklace. Pendant, whatever the fuck you want to call it, Hamsa. What the fuck you talking about, Sly? I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain to you what the fuck I'm talking about. Hamsa. Called the hand of Fatima. Okay? The Hamsa hand is an ancient Middle Eastern amulet symbolizing the hand of God. In all faiths, it is a protective sign. It brings its owner happiness, luck, health, and good fortune. The Hamsa hand has a wide variety of different spellings, which includes Hamesh, Hamsa, Kamsa, Kamsa. It's also identified as the hand of Miriam, Aaron, and Moses' sister, and the hand of Fatima. And the Hamsa hand has two main styles. One style is shaped like a regular hand, and the other two has two symmetrical thumbs. The second of the two styles is the most popular. The wearer of the Hamsa hand can wear it facing up or down, and is believed to give the owner success, harmony, protection, and from the uh, Ayin Hara, also known as the evil eye. Now, hand of Fatima. Hand of Fatima commemorates Fatima Zahra, the daughter of Prophet Muhammad and the wife of Hazrat Ali. Uh, let's see. The hand of Fatima is supposed to symbolize Fatima's tough life and her struggle for dignity. Uh, thereby, it denotes resistance against difficulties, patience, faith, and loyalty. It represents the all-prevailing energy of peace, truth, and goodness, and symbolizes the goddess who hand radiates love and protects from evil intent. The five fingers of the hand of Fatima represent the family of Prophet Muhammad, including himself, Fatima, Hazrat Ali, and Fatima's and Ali's sons, Hussein and Hassan. Uh, the five fingers stand for the five requirements, tenets, or pillars of Islam to profess the faith, to pray, to go on a pilgrimage to Mecca, to give alms, and to fast. The hand of Fatima symbol is used as a protective talisman by several cultures and re religions other than Muslims such as Jews, Christians, Egyptians, and North Africans. It is also considered to be a powerful pagan fertility symbol. This is what the fuck he was wearing in this movie. Y'all all missed it. All y'all missed it. All y'all missed it. All y'all missed it. All y'all missed it. 
Okay. Uh, I see my man, big dog, Professor Nick Taylor in the house. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so now moving forward with, with the <laughs> with that, um, Rudy convinces the guys to go see the front page and gets the idea to make a movie while watching it. The funniest part in this to me is when they're watching the front page in the theater. And you know how niggas be. When shit's not funny, it, it's dry humor. It's white people humor. When it's real dry, like Seinfeld, right? And Mike Epps is like, "Man, what is what the fuck is this shit, man?" And, then, and you know him and the other dude are talking. This white woman says, "Shh," and he's like, "Don't shush me, Sandy Duncan." I laughed out so loud. I'm like, Sandy Duncan, who the fuck is Sandy Duncan? Yo, remember? Um, oh my god, it's a, it was a comedy. It was a it was a it was a TV sitcom. Years ago, Valerie Harper, right? Valerie Harper raising these kids, and then she left the show and got replaced by Sandy Duncan. Sandy Duncan was a blind, the blonde chick with like a she had a, like a fucked up eye. She's still pretty. She's pretty, but she had a fucked up eye. That's who Sandy Duncan. When he said Sandy Duncan, I'm sorry, you have to be an old head to understand who the fuck I'm talking about. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you ain't catch the shit. All right, um. So then um, he gets an idea to make the movie. <laughs> and then um, Rudy asks um, American International. Now, this is this is <laughs> this is where T.I. comes in. He plays she, he plays um, the, the, the owner of American uh, International. He asked them for three hundred thousand dollars to make a movie. Uh, actually, T.I. was kind of funny, like as himself, using big words and trying to speak really eloquently. Right. That was like his brief cameo in this. So then Rudy reveals he's from, he ran away from a broken home in Alabama. Uh, Rudy decides that uh, everybody will pitch in to help self and self-finance the movie. Okay. Rudy hires uh, Jerry Jones to write his movie. Okay. So then Rudy meets Derville Martin. This is Wesley Snipes. Now, listen, as you watch this movie, as you watch Wesley play this character, I swear to God, I saw shades of Noxima Jackson in, in his in his acting. You're like, well, who the fuck is Noxima Jackson? Well, if you watch Tu Wong Fu, uh, Julie Numar, when they all, when Swayze and Leguizamo and Snipes were all in drag, characters, uh, Snipes' name was Noxima Jackson. Okay? So this Derville Martin guy, it, it was weird. It was, like, it was like he was trying to be a manly man. But it came off very effeminate. And he was an alcoholic. He's always drinking. So I was just like, what the fuck? What the fuck is this shit? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So anyway, you had to watch, you had to watch. He listen, he played it up to a T. It was good to see him back on, on a like a, a major big screen. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm I'm a fan of Wesley. He's been through enough shit as, as is, but really I saw a lot of shades of Noxima Jackson in this movie. Okay, so then. They meet him in the club. Derville's like, man, he brushes Rudy off. He's like, man, I have a, I have an agent, man. I have an entertainment attorney, man. You just gonna walk up on me, man, and ask me to do something, man. <laughs> right? It was funny. So then Rudy offers Derville the director's chair. Okay. Rudy asks for an advance against future royalties from Kent Records. Rudy uses the Dunbar Hotel for his location shoot. It was a famous hotel back in the day. Rudy admits he has to move into the Dun into the Dunbar to uh, to help alleviate costs. 
Okay. Jerry brings in UCLA film school students. They steal electricity to power the Dunbar Hotel. Uh, Derville explains the importance of a DP. I don't mean double penetration. I mean director photography. And he explains to Rudy why uh, a director of photography is so important. He says, black people absorb light. White people reflect light. Okay. So then Rudy, Jerry, and Derville uh, have creative, uh, creative differences. So then we get to the sex scene. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The sex scene. So, there, of course, if you've seen the original movie, uh, <laughs> there's Rudy with, with, the white, with the white woman. And she's on top. And they're just really doing extra shit with the shit. And then the, the, they had the, the props on strings. And they're pulling the strings to make the props go up and down. And make, make it seem like the, the, bed is, the room is, like, really shaking because of their lovemaking, whatever. And then the ceiling falls on top of the white woman. And... <laughs> And then there's sparklers on the back of the. <laughs> it was sad. It was fucking sad. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm sorry. You just had to watch this shit to see what I'm talking about. Okay. So then, <laughs> uh, also Derville says um, in his acting credits, he said he had played the elevator operator in Rosemary's Baby. That threw me off. Don't know why, but we all know how demonic that movie is, was. Um, of all the, 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 the movies to mention, that threw me off. I haven't figured it out why they put that in there, but it, it, it stuck out to me. Okay, so then Rudy asks for 10 grand. They run, they run out of film. Rudy goes back to Ken execs and asks for 10 grand more to, to buy film. Uh, Derville overhears the conversation between Derville and execs. Derville gives Rudy words of inspiration. Okay, he tells him to use this to 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 motivate you to go further. Okay, which is a good, which is cool. All right, production ends. Derville becomes dismissive when he finds out he's being hired for the Black Caesar movie. So he acts. He shows his ass at the end. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> so then Rudy gets rejection calls uh, for distribution for his movie. So then he gets upset with them because he's in debt and nobody wants to distribute his movie. So then uh, Chris Rock, this was a nice cameo. I was so happy. that This is why Eddie is the fucking goat, okay? This is why, Eddie, listen, you will never catch Eddie Murphy in a cameo in a Chris Rock movie, okay? But you'll catch Chris Rock be a goddamn cameo in an Eddie Murphy movie. That, that's the difference, okay? So <laughs> Rudy's back on the chitin circuit. Chris Rock plays uh, DJ Bobby Vale uh, in, in Indianapolis, right? They play, uh, so he he hooks Bobby, I mean, he hooks uh, Rudy up with his cousin that manages a theater in Indianapolis, okay? So then, uh, I think his name is Baba Abatunde. Uh, you've seen this guy in a, a ton shitload of movies. Um, he, he he convinces Rudy, say, hey, do a midnight showing, right? So then Rudy's like, well, don't you, you got to pay me in advance, He's like, no, that's not how it works. So it really gets schooled in, in, in uh, movie finance, right? So then he's like, look, you get the door. I get everything else, okay? Because potentially he has the, the, the room to make more money if he, if he has the door. Because you can make the ticket prices, whatever the case may be. And, you know, so he learns firsthand. So he goes on his rampage, promoting the movie, uh, uh, passing out flyers and leaflets 
Indianapolis, whatever, whatever, blah, 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 blah. There's a midnight showing and it's packed. Uh, line is at around the door. Uh, Rudy learns the business of Microsoft procedures. Okay, so the midnight shows a success. It sets a new house record at that theater. Okay, Dolomite movie hits a variety of reports. He gets a call from Dimension Pictures, one of the first people that rejected his movie, to buy the rights to Dolomite. Dolomite agrees, pays back Kent Records what he owed. Okay, and then multiple outlets uh, gave uh, Dolomite horrific reviews on the way to the premiere. They're getting nervous. Dolomite says, "Hey, man, look, we we made it this far. We've got to lose." So it's it's the premiere is is packed. It's the, the line is down around the corner. Uh, one thing before I get into the end of it, I always thought that Rudy and 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 old girl was going to be a couple. Uh, Queen B. I thought I, I I was like, wait a minute, they're not going to hook up. I'm waiting for them to hook up. They never hook up. Okay. So then, anywho. <laughs> getting back so then the, the theater is packed the uh, standing room only there's one kid that's with his dad his dad's like look we can't stay here all night rudy sees this he says hey man uh y'all go ahead and watch the movie i'm gonna I'm stay out here with the people until this time for them to get their show because they're they're like just saying they're waiting for a 2, a 2 a.m show okay so he's out there he gives the kid his cane he lets the kid listen to him imitate himself whatever the case may be he's out there with the public uh entertaining the, the crowd people loving this shit um, so then it ends and then, you know, the credits roll by and it was, uh, I think the movie made $10 million, uh, gross na uh, nationwide and it was a success and they made mother movies, yada, yada, yada. It was a good, feel good story of, of perseverance and believing in yourself against all odds. I know it's not a Halloween theme movie, but I thought the message was, you know, was, uh, was needed. It was, it, I, I resounding so I, I love the i love the flick you know so um yeah with that i'm gonna take me a small break because i'm tired and i'm thirsty so <laughs> i will be back in two and two with my final movie breakdown I mean, we good? Ra. Hello? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Now you're good. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Good, good, good. 
Yeah. I mean, it's a trip, man. I mean, yeah, people are really upset over the, over that show. Like everybody, every demographic is upset about that show. <laughs> so I, I don't. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know. Why would I want to watch that? Sh- I don't want to see that shit. You know? Yeah. Oh, the creep show, creep. Yeah, that that shit was trash. That shit's trash, man. It's it's fucking trash. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. oh yeah it was it was pretty bad it was pretty bad pretty bad you know what can we just can we just do one song i'm a i got i got enough for the next 30 45 minutes yeah all right Right. (laughs) Okay. All right, welcome back to the Morning Star Show featuring Superslot75. I am he, your host, gracious and humble, Superslot75. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Rod on the Boards, uh, the slave driver herself, Cindy. Uh, also, you can always visit us on www.onthewakeupradio.com. We are on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio for replays. The call-in number is always 646-547-1305. You can find me on the YouTube at Superslot75. Merchandise is always available at teespring.com forward slash superslash 75. Also, please feel free to donate any amounts to which will go to airtime and the website. It's a labor of love, but we still live in a costly world. If you appreciate the free content, please help us keep the message uncensored and free. You can always donate through PayPal at onthewakeupradio at gmail.com. Okay, so now to wrap up this Halloween edition of the Morningstar show, it is one movie that has absolutely terrified me when I was a young kid. This movie is called The Entity. 1982 this movie scared 
the shit out of me. Okay. And I mean that with every fiber in my being. Barbara Hershey is in this movie. Okay. Let me get right into it. The opening scene. Single mom. is going to night school. She arrives home. Check on her kids. She's cleaning the kitchen. She's fussing at her oldest son, Billy, because he didn't clean the kitchen. Right? So then she got out the shower. She put on the Noxzema. Okay, so you know old heads. We know what Oxzema was, is. Okay, you, you young kids are like, what the fuck is Noxzema? So as she's putting on, she's putting on Noxzema, all of a sudden she's punched in the mouth. She's punched in the mouth. Her lip is bleeding. She's thrown onto the bed. The pillow covers her mouth. And she's being assaulted. She's being violated. This music is playing. This thumping, prodding, jabby music. Okay? While this woman is being attacked by this unseen force. And then you can and then the camera, and she's being jerked onto the bed, right? Every vibration. And she nearly passes out. So then it stops. The music stops. And then she gathers her senses. And then she starts screaming. She throws the pillow off herself. She starts screaming hysterically. Hysterically, her son comes in. And then uh, he checks on the mom. The other kids wake up. Uh, she said, there's somebody in the, in the house. There's somebody in the house. The son checks all the windows. The windows are locked. Checks all the other rooms. There's no one here. He said, there's no one here. She's like, no, somebody's in the house. Somebody attacked me. Somebody's in the house. There's nobody in the fucking house. Okay. All right. So later on that night at 1145 PM, she's reading a book. Her dresser begins to shake. And then the shelf in front of her bed begins to shake. All right. Then her chest begins to shake. All right. And then she begins to feel a cold spot. Okay, and then the poltergeist begins to shake her bed and knock down her curtains. And then she runs out of her room and the door closed behind her. And she's running to her son's room and, and grabs her daughters and they flee the house. Okay, and then Carla forgets the car keys in the house. She sneaks back into the house and something's trying to get out of her, out of her door, her, her bedroom door. Just the door is shaking and, and, and trying to turn. She grabs keys and runs back out, all right? And then she runs out. She says, did you hear it? Did you hear it? She says to her son. Son says, we didn't hear anything. Her entire room was shaking like, a, like, a, like, a, like, a, like an earthquake. And nobody heard or felt anything. So then they crashed at her friend's, uh, Cindy's house. Imagine that. Her fucking name is Cindy. Ain't that by the bitch? Um, Carla's friend asked what happened. She begins to tell her what happened. She says she was attacked, but nobody was there. Her friend tries to make sense of it. Cindy asks, Carla, are you on drugs? Cindy recommends maybe you should get some psychi psychiatric help, right? Okay, okay. So then <laughs> Cindy's husband begins to, to loudly voice his displeasure of of, of Carla and her kids staying there. You know how some guys get when the girlfriend's girls is in trouble and they bring all the, the kids and the family over there and the guy's like, man, you cut into my, my, you know, whatever time, whatever, right? So then in the middle, they, they, they decide to leave. 
she Carla takes her kids and leave because you know she feels bad because there are you know she, her friends getting fussed out by her husband because they're there. So they go to the beach, and it's dark. And then her son's like, "Yo, how long are we gonna be here?" So then they go back to the house, okay. And then Carla opens the door to her her bedroom and inspects the damage. And then the kids walk in the room, right? And then they hear a sound. So then Billy's like, I'm going to go see what it is. Badass Billy, he runs outside to where the sound is underneath the house. And he discovers it was a loose pipe. He says, yeah, my look, when you move it, it makes this sound. Well, then she asks, well, who's moving it the first time? Dun, dun, dun. Right? So then later on that night, Cindy comes over to spend the night at, at Carla's. All right. Cindy convinces Carla, hey, um, don't sleep on the couch. We can share that. We share we'll share your bed. Okay. Um, so later on that night, as Carla, Carla and Cindy are sleeping in the bed, right? Carla's lamp turns on and it turns back off. Okay. So then the next morning, during Carla's drive to work, in traffic, the spirit matches her gas pedal, and she's created through traffic, trying to avoid me, trying to avoid crashing. She's hysterical, and <laughs> the car is going faster and faster. The brakes ain't working, so she finally spins out towards towards an embankment at the bottom next to a park. So then. <laughs> I'm laughing, but as it goes further, she would not be funny. All right. So then Carla goes to see a psychiatrist and he asks her, uh, has this happened before? She tells Dr. Silver the first time she was raped, but there was nobody there. Okay. Dr. Silver says it wasn't a real man. She says he evaporated. Dr. Silver says, did it feel like a man? She says a big man. Dr. Silver asks, was there pain? Carla said, yes. She said there was a foul smell. Dr. Silver asked, did he ejaculate? Carla says, I think so. Dr. Silver asked Carla what she thinks happened. Carla has no answer. Carla then says he tried to kill her on the way to work. Dr. Silver says he wants to run more tests. Carla returns back home. Okay. Carla begins to undress. And run bath water. As Carla enters the tub, the bathroom door closes. Carla stands up in utter fear. Then the other door closes. Carla gets out of the bathtub and moves in front of the sink where she's trying to open the door behind her. The door will not open. The poltergeist yanks her, turns her around, throws her against the wall, has her face pressed up against the, her, 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 uh, her mirror. And man, listen, I'm telling you. So then the, the ghost is going to town on her. Her face is hitting the, the mirror and her face is being squished against the mirror. And the thing is, this thing is just jackhammering away at her, right? So then it, th- it throws her against the shower curtain, right? So her face is against the shower curtain and she can't breathe. And this thing is just going to town and then the vibrations and emotions and then this music is playing. Oh, my goodness. Right. So then it throws her against the door. It strings her hands up above her head, spreads her legs. And then just. You know, just just violates her till she passes out 
and then it drops, let her lets lets her fall on the floor. She passes out on the on the bathroom floor. Uh, okay, so the next day, at Doctor Silver's, uh, Carla shows her the bruises. There's a bite mark. There's a handprint. She has bruises on her inner and her inner thighs. Uh, Carla says it felt like multiple offenders were holding her legs open, like they were smaller. Doctor Silver says, like children. She says, no, they were strong. Carla says she couldn't see them, but she could feel them. Dr. Silver wants to test her psychological and emotional well-being. He prescribes her meds. Dr. Silver gives her a, a ride home. Dr. Silver inspects her house. Dr. Silver says her house isn't haunted. And he says she has repressed sexual trauma. She tells Dr. Silver Billy's dad died before he was born in a motorcycle accident. He was abusive. And then the daughter's father skipped out on him. He was a, he was a deadbeat. And then Dr. Silver eventually leaves after fixing the girls a banana split. In the living room, she's knocked to the couch. She tries to get up. She's knocked to the couch again. And then all of a sudden, the assault takes place. The kids are screaming. Billy's like, what's going on? This whole time, this thing is going through town on Carla, on the couch, in front of everybody. Billy tries to help. He's thrown to the, he's thrown to the ground. Uh, then Billy is trying to push against an, an invisible force while trying to get to his mom, and then Billy's electrocuted, and he falls out. The next day, Carla, Dr. Silver, and his colleagues are listening to her therapy sessions. Uh, one doctor asks Carly uh, why it chose you. She says uh, she's not sure. Maybe she's attractive. Once she leaves, the doctors think she has a masturbation issue. Okay. Carla and her boyfriend, uh, Jerry, have a night together and he has to leave town. And she asks him, take me with you. And he's like, you know, I can't take you with me because it's for work. Okay. Later on that night. At 3.18 a.m. The poltergeist begins to seduce Carla. You have to watch this movie, okay? Because, because it opens her top, and you can see her being sucked on by something, and then she's getting into it. Of course, she's in a deep sleep, right? And then all of a sudden, she has an orgasm, and she wakes up, and she's upset, and she begins to break things in her room out of anger and frustration, okay? The next day, she tells Dr. Silver, I had an orgasm. Silver wants her to be committed. Uh, there is a, a, a back and forth. She says it won't be a problem because she won't resist him. Dr. Silver says she's sexually repressed and is manifesting her issues. Uh, Silver says Carla created her demons as a symbol for her sexual desires. Dr. Silver insists she may be sexually uh, inappropriately with Billy. Because if it was so big and strong, then why would it need help? He said it was one big one and two little ones. Okay. Uh, Carla says, uh, stays at Cindy's. So she goes back to Carla's, right? I mean, back to Cindy's. So then Carl, uh, Cindy and her husband are about to go out to the car to, to leave for the night. So then the poltergeist blows out all the windows. Knocks on all the pictures and the furniture, all the lighting. They hear it. 
so Cindy and her husband run back in the house and blows out the last bit of windows as they walk in. They see something, right? So now Cindy believes Carla. And she was like, did you see it? And she was like, yeah, we seen it. I seen it. Okay. Uh, so then Cindy and Carla go book shopping and they're looking for paranormal books, uh, studies to, to read up on this stuff. Okay. And they come across two paranormal investigators and tell them, and she tells them her story. The investigators become witnesses to the house shaking and the foul smell in the cold spots. And they decide to take on her case later that night. At 4.15 a.m., the poltergeist begins to discharge an electrical current and reaches out to touch it and surmises. Carly, Carla reaches out to touch it and surmises it has become weak. So it normally attacks her when she's by herself. When there's multiple people around, for some reason, it will not do it or cannot do it. Okay. So then she screams at it like, oh, yeah, you're weak. You can only do it when I'm, about, I'm by myself. You can't do it with other people around. So they take pictures of it. So as they go back to the office and to examine the pictures and the lightning arc, you can see the outline image of a man. Okay. So then Dr. Silva goes to Carla's house while the investigators set up an observation post. All right. Silva is skeptical. Uh, Carla tells Phil uh, she no longer has, has attacks and that she is no longer needs to, she no longer needs to see him and tells him to leave. Silver thinks the investigators are becoming an issue. And later that night, orbs are flying throughout the house. Dr. Cooley asks the entity to come forth and show himself. Then a green mass appears briefly before disappearing. Okay. So Dr. Cooley says she believes in separate planes of existence of existence and comes up with a plan to isolate and in a controlled environment. Okay. So they want to kind of catch this thing, right? That's the, that's the premise behind it. So then the investigators leave while her boyfriend, Jerry shows up from his trip. And this is the most fucked up part of the entire movie. Hands down. Hands down. Okay. So then Carla tells Jerry uh, there's something in the house uh, that prevents her from sleeping uh, to explain why the investigators were there. Carla says her attacks began when Jerry left. She then tells him he was attacked. She was attacked, but can't explain it. And Jerry gives Carla a negligee he bought her from his trip. Okay. He gives her the negligee. He goes into the bathroom. To freshen up. He comes out. The music's playing. Oh my God. So here he's looking at Carla. Naked on the bed. Something is on top of her. Squeezing her breast. And she's gyrating. And she's like help me. Help me. Help me. It is the most disturbing. Uh, five minutes of footage. On any, on any movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> you have to see this movie. So she's. Begging him to help her. He's like, what in the fuck? So he goes to reach out, like, whatever it is. It knocks him to the ground. Okay. Uh, so then. Okay. Okay. So then he grabs a chair to hit whatever it is on top of her. So then by then, by the time he swings the chair, she's able to move out of the way. He hits the, he hits the bed. Her son runs in thinking he's trying to kill his mom. He attacks Jerry. They get into a fight. So they're at the hospital. She has a concussion. The kids are there. Jerry's like, so Dr. Silver shows up. He's like, look, man, I, I can't be with this woman. 
he said there's something on top of her, something there. I don't know. I couldn't see it, but it was there. And um, he's like, he, he he's he's done. He checks out. He's like, he he said not he could he couldn't deal with not knowing what the situation is. Okay. Uh, so the investigators show up, and she gives her consent to try and isolate and trap the trap the entity. Okay. So they officially name it the entity. All right. The plan is to isolate, trap, and freeze it with uh, liquid helium if it has mass. Okay. So the plan will take place uh, for Carla to be at the university. They create a mock setup of her home, right, with glass housing and cameras. Okay. So then Dr. Silva shows up to the experiment, and he's all he's trying to get Carla to leave. She won't leave. He gets kicked out. All right. So then Silva goes back later on that night to try to stop the, the experiment. And Dr. Cooley invites Silva to watch from the booth. The entity shows up. And Carla moves to uh, to the protected area, so it can it, it assumes control of the leak the liquid helium, and it's moving and it's shooting the helium into the into the setup, freezing everything to try and move her into a, a particular uh, part of the of the mock house. So she moves into the protected area. It freezes the glass. Okay. So then, okay, I'll say. So Carla tells the entity she's done running, and that it can do whatever it wants to her but it can't have her so then the tank explodes and then it destroys the setup and then silver runs in to save carla the entity becomes frozen from the helium and begins to break apart and then explodes the investigators lose all the footage but the president was a witness but he refuses to acknowledge what he saw carla goes back to her abandoned house she's in there by herself the door closes behind her and the voice says, welcome home, cunt. Carla then walks to the door, opens it, and then sees Cindy and her kids uh, in the cars packing to move. And then she goes out to finish, help them, help them finish packing her belongings. The original incident took place in Culver City in 1974. Her name is Doris Bither. Let me find it. Let me find it. Oh my God, please don't take that. Okay. Okay, here we go. Here we go. 1974, Doris Bither, a mother of four, was living with her sons in a small house in Culver City, California, when she began to suffer a series of physical attacks that she claims were perpetrated by a group of ghosts. Bither claims that she was being raped by the phantoms. Uh, let's see. When she was alive, Bither claimed that she wasn't just attacked by one ghost, but three different entities who, who would attack her on a regular basis. Two of them, she claimed, were small creatures who would hold her down, while the largest of the entities would be the one who raped her. Her sons got so used to seeing the ghost that they referred to the ghost that they saw the most as Mr. Who's It. One of her sons claimed to have seen Bither thrown around the room by an invisible phenomenon. He claims that when he tried to stop the attack, he was tossed away like loose garbage. Bither's eldest son, Brian Harris, described the entities like a fog or like a human, but not quite. The attacks against Bither were particularly brutal, and they went on for years. Bither was tossed around the room, slapped, and raped almost nightly. Her sons recall seeing major scarring on her legs and thighs as if someone had grabbed her. Bither's oldest son, Brian, claims to have witnessed many of the attacks. Uh, he says that because his bedroom was next door to his mother's room, he would have to listen to the assaults as they happened. And in a few cases, he actually saw her being beaten by an invisible force. 
He says, it was like a man standing in front of my mother and would start to beat her. Imagine a woman being beaten. You could see her being picked up and thrown around, sounds, slaps, but there was no one there to actually do it. He continued, we all felt it too, pulling, biting, and scratching. We were all attacked. According to Bither's sons, she wasn't the only one in the house who was being attacked by these ghostly creatures. The members of her family would also speak about the incident claim that at different times throughout the years, they experienced things in the house as well. And they say one of them was slapped by a creature. One of them bumped into an invisible man in the hallway. And the eldest son found a way to make the ghost particularly excited. He claims that music would set off a chain reaction of orbs appearing around the house and the house lights would turn on and off. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. 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 So then, after the spectral rape started to become a normal thing in the Bither household, a group of paranormal paranormal investigators were called to see if they could figure out what was going on. The group of around thirty investigators set up cameras to catch anything happening while they were in the home, and everything was in place. They had Bither conjure the entities. According to a later report, Bither went into a frenzy and began to swear and taunt the spirits while the investigators watched. Allegedly, light orbs began to manifest in one room, followed by a green mist that snaked out from one corner of the room. Investigators claimed a mist formed in the shape of a human torso and a series of muscles. After having their film developed, the investigators were dismayed to find that none of, the, none of this had been captured on camera, save for a free arc that was seen to be floating above Bither. An interesting note to the paranormal investigator story comes from Bither's son, Brian, who was just out of elementary school at the time of the attacks. He claims that the presence of the paranormal investigators exasperated the haunting, making his home life a complete hell. When the team would show up, I hated it because I knew as soon as they left, they would be so become so angry that the house would become alive. Uh, okay, so they go into theories. Go into theories. Okay. Go into theories. Okay, so yeah, they go into theories uh, as to why that maybe she was a, a latent psychic. Okay, so the Bither house in, is, is still in Culver City, uh, but according to reports from people who've lived there after Bither, there haven't been any further signs of, of a haunting. The remaining members of the Bither family claimed after they moved out of the house, the horrible events continued. It would appear this is a case of a person being haunted rather than a place. Okay. Uh, following Bither's cry for help among the paranormal investigative community, a book was written about her experience in 1978 titled The Entity by Frank De, uh, Frank DeFelita. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that was The Entity. That should wrap up my Halloween special of movie breakdowns and all that good stuff. Yeah. Listen, I cannot describe to you uh, how scary this movie Legit made me when as a kid watching this shit, man. Literally, literally. So yeah. Um, what I got five another five minutes. If you guys want to take calls, uh, the number is six four six five four seven one three zero five. Uh, that being said, oh, let's get into some 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 Negro stuff. So let's do this. I heard Supercent and her and her guy Lou are no longer together. Now. With everything going on around Supercent and her friends, let's see how long it takes before something happens to Lou. Let us put Lou on the clock because I think he's going to be the next victim of whatever hocus pocus they got going on down there in New Orleans. 
I could be wrong. I could be wrong. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and then also, um, Kevin Hart, uh, he, he did a little story thing on his Instagram feed where it showed, I guess, his road to recovery. Now, I watched it and, oh, got a caller. Caller, what's happening? What's bracken? Bro, ham, bro, ham, what's cracking, homie? Man, talk to me, bro. What's going on? Yes, sir. Yeah, what's good, man? Just just trying to call in and say what's up, man. Uh, nice breakdown, man. I'm kind of scared of stuff on stupid, man. That watch this stuff. I'm kind of iffy on that now, man. Because I just want to see Dr. Manhattan come back and just stand on everybody. That's it. That, that's it. That's all I care about. You're right. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. And also, and I noticed you had done a movie review on Gemini Man or Rambo. So I'm going to assume those movies suck. Now nah, you know what I'm. I, I'm. I plan on going to see Gemini Man. Um, I don't know if I catch Rambo, I catch it. I, I catch it if I can. Yeah. That's what's up. I appreciate that. My man, I appreciate it. All right, bro. All right. Um, so yeah, what? Let's let yeah. So the Kevin Hart thing. If you believe what you saw on his Instagram, and I, I like I said, I I'm a back injury sufferer, and so, um, yeah, forty year olds don't recover from back surgery like that. Because in, in, in the Instagram story, the doctor told him it's like you're a year. It's going to take you a year to recover from that. And he's already playing around, herky-jerky, dancing, whatever. And he has a back brace. And you can see the scar, the surgical scar. You know, um, I don't know, y'all. I don't know. I, I'm over it at this point. Uh, got another caller. Caller was bragging. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's all of us, uh, but yeah. Okay, I was trying to contact Slides and uh, talk to him about uh, what he talked about on the uh, on, on that uh, entity thing. I've seen that movie too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, what's up? What, what what's your thoughts on it? Well, man, I was pretty scared for that movie too, man. Because uh, after I saw that as a kid, kid, man, I didn't want to see it for a while until I got older. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. about spiritual taxes and all that. Yeah. And I was a bit, I was a bit thinking that uh, if he think that movie was scary, he need to do a review on uh, Demon Seed, uh, starring Julia Christie. Wow, you know what? Okay, I'm put on the list. Okay. Yeah, and also this other movie called Thinner by Stephen King, where uh, that judge was cursed by the by the gypsy to become thinner and thinner. Yeah, that's a. Yeah, that's a classic. No, for sure, for sure. Yeah, because I, I like that last line in the movie, man, where uh, the gypsy told him to make him eat that pie. He, he, he prefers him to die clean. Die clean, yes. He to make him eat that pie so the curse be lifted. Yeah. And then he, I, I remember he turned out he got back at his wife. And he got back at the dude that in the movie said, yeah, come on in, crazy white doctor from town. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, definitely. I'll put him on the list for sure. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Right on. I'm on it. Yeah. All right. All right, my man. I appreciate it. All right. No, this is me, bro. No, it's good. Y'all good. I mean, yeah, I, I was watching it last week and it still it still bothered me to watch it even to this day, man. So, yeah. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Over the over the, the, the grave site. They, 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 yeah, they didn't. Right. They didn't move the bodies. You're right. Yep. That's right. Yes. Yes. That's right. That's right. True that. True. 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 Okay. Okay. 
have to do some new watching because he said he has some fancy high places. Right. I said, okay, that's sort of like some sort of highly advanced ship to fit them up. Yeah. But man, I tell you, man, you need to do a review of that Demon Seed and, and Venom, man, because <laughs> Demon Seed was another movie that scared me out back then in the days. Okay. Yeah, I'll, 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 said, man. I'll definitely get on it. Okay, cool. I'll do that. Because he had to sign a contract to get that belt. He had to become big, you know, uh, big man's property. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, check it out. All right, then, bro. Okay. You hydrate, all right? I'm, I'm hydrating. I, I, I will do that. All right. <laughs> okay, bro. Peace. Peace. All right. And with that, we're going to wrap this thing up. We're going to call it a night. Uh, thank everybody for hanging out with me uh, on Halloween, on Sam Hay Day. Um, thanks for everybody, the Super Chats, Nick, uh, Pureness. I think that was it. And um, so, yeah, we'll do this again next week. Uh, with that being said, uh, love and light to all y'all. So uh, you guys enjoy the rest of your night, all right? Peace. Cool. <laughs> I think it was I think it was Edward. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. Definitely, definitely. It's quite, it's quite all right, man. It's all, it's all right. Okay, bro. That's what I'm gonna do. Hydrate. No, it's. It's fucking snowing out here. No fucking that. I'm seeing my ass in the house. Fuck all that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's true. True. Yeah. All right, brother. You get your rest. <laughs> all right. All right, peace. Hey, all right, all right. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to drag this out. Um, yeah, I'm not going to drag this out. I'm not. So uh, that was it. Next week, um, like this, these next list of, of, of movie breakdowns, I'm looking really forward to it, like really getting into it because some of this shit's going to be really, really good. Like, my, let me see my list. Yeah. Yeah. These These next month of shows for these movies right here killer 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 what's he talking about my black ass at staples printing my son project why these children love asking for shit last minute staples closing in five minutes so yeah you're you're that customer that comes at the last fucking minute 
Yeah, that's that's you. All right, so yo, um, if not any other questions, anything like that, any of the comments, I'm gonna wrap this up and get out of here, and I'm gonna let you guys go. Once again, thank you everybody for hanging out, all you maniacs. Um, yo, wait, 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 wait. So did y'all did y'all watch the Sonnetter um stream with polite? Let's talk about that for five, ten minutes. I I I I must talk about this for five to ten minutes. Did anyone watch that farce of a of a stream? With so can someone explain to me? So where were the parents when this man was trying to get the girl into the car? I, I, help me understand. Why are you not around your child? Why is a man able to ask your child to get into a vehicle and you're not around? I, someone help me understand that. I, that makes no fucking sense. So why would she have to run to go hide? Where are you going to hide? Why? I don't understand. Do you not have a phone? You can't call and say, hey. Somebody's fucking with me. You can't run into a store and be like, hey, someone's fucking with me. Where would you have to hide? Where where, where are you going to hide? I, I, I don't understand. Someone please help me make sense of this of this nonsense. Because I, I have questions and this shit ain't adding up to me. <laughs> I was bad at that when I was a kid. Um, it, it just makes no sense. A pure foolishness. I mean, if you guys have theories, I would love to hear your theories. Cause I I want clarification because this shit don't any adding up. And then I'm looking at the I'm looking at the stream. It was a setup for a debate. Really? Wow, that's how far we that's how far they've fallen. That's how desperate they've gotten. Just use your child for a, to prop up a debate. That's so fucked up. Cause I'm I'm watching the stream and I look at the girl. She don't look traumatized for shit. She don't look bothered at all. And then on top of that. Why would you put on the flyer that she left the house before? Why, why would you why would you put on the flyer that your child had left the house before? Who does that? Who says, hey, my child's missing, but hey, also she left, she did this before. Who the fuck does that? <laughs> my theory is his damn daughter, not afraid of strangers. <laughs> It, that I, you know what, I call bullshit on all that. I call bullshit on all that. It's, it's not. That's why I say y'all, y'all, y'all can't. You can't be feeding everybody energy like that. You know. So now he got all everybody riled up and shit over his daughter. So everybody's all riled up and concerned and upset over, over his daughter. Yeah, they. Yeah, Renette, they found her. They found her. This child is 13. It's the one that looks just like him. And that could be a good thing or a bad thing. Because you know how petty I, I, I can be with this. But um Yeah, this whole this whole this whole shit is, is a farce to me. It shit makes no sense. It makes, makes no sense. But yo, I'm not gonna drag this out. Y'all know what time it is. It's it's bullshit time, so. Um, but yeah, the Kevin Hart thing, I don't know what to think about the Kevin Hart. He's moving too goddamn, listen, he's moving too good for a motherfucker that had, that had back surgery. I don't give a fuck how successful your back surgery is. 
He's moving too good. I then if, if that's the case, I need to go ahead and get my back surgery done. If you know, if if if, if you're moving like that. So um, yeah, I'm gonna get out of here. You guys enjoy the rest of your Halloween night, and I will catch y'all the next time. All right, peace.